four. The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. Put another nickel in, drop it in that box of tin. Charity at home begins with a pushka, pushka, pushka. Ten old pennies make a dime before you break. It's the best time. You can watch your money climb with a pushka, pushka, pushka. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm Herschel Finman. We've got a great show for you today. Thank you for tuning in. This half hour of the show, we'll be featuring an interview with Rabbi Abraham Tversky, who recently wrote a book about self-esteem. Everybody should think, feel good about themselves, yes. We have an eclectic assortment of acapella music as we are still in the time of quasi-morning of Sephira. The portion of the week is Bahar, which is Leviticus 25. We're closing all the way at the end of the show in about an hour from now with an awesome Hasidic story. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Israel tested a sea-based Iron Dome missile system called the Sea Dome. That's with the letter C, not the letter S-E-A. The sea-based Iron Dome is designed to protect Israel offshore oil and gas platforms. Hamas targeted Israeli platforms during the 2014 Gaza War. Millions of gallons of raw sewage pour into the Gaza's Mediterranean beachfront, turning miles of once scenic coastline into a stagnant dead zone. After years of neglect, the sludge is floating northward and affecting Israel as well. A desalinization plant was forced to shut down due to the pollution. Egypt is building a nuclear power plant. Let me say that again slowly. Egypt is building a nuclear power plant. I, the first time I saw this is when I went looking on the news, and it was like buried somewhere back. Like, why are people jumping up and down? <clears throat> this is as, almost as serious as Iran building a nuclear power plant. The project will be mostly paid for by a $25 billion, $25 billion loan from Russia. Thank you so much. A bill passed unanimously by the House of Representatives would give protection for ritual circumcision and slaughter for those people who want to adhere. This would mean that no city or state could pass a law banning such religious practices. The measure now moves to the Senate. And finally, two divers found an ancient treasure in the harbor at Caesarea National Park. A highly unique part of the find was two metallic lumps composed of thousands of coins weighing around 20 kilos. The lumps of coins were in the shape of pottery vessels. The coins bear the image of Emperor Constantine, who ruled Western Roman Empire from 312 to 324. And that's the news. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program, when you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. 
In addition, the credits you earn while attending Specs Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Specs Howard School at 248 358 9000. That's 248 358 9000. Or visit them on the web at specshoward.edu. Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have on live Dr. Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tursky, who doesn't need any more introduction. You've been here a couple of times on our show. How are you today, Dr. Tursky? Just fine, thank God. Good to hear, good to hear. We're going to be talking about self-esteem. And one of the questions that has, I don't know if this is in line with your talk, it's coming up this evening, but um, that has um, interested me in the idea of, of a developed self-esteem is the difference if there is a fine line or a large cavern between self-esteem and arrogance. I don't think that there are two possible things that could be farther apart. They are poles apart. Let's hear. Now, I think we must define self-esteem. Self-esteem simply means for a person to have a true self-awareness, a true evaluation of oneself. Now, I'm not sure why this is so, but many people, many people have feelings of inadequacy or inferiority, or that negative feelings about themselves, that are not justified in reality. And essentially, it's a false belief, it's a delusion. It's almost the same kind of delusion, like if someone is psychotic and has a delusion that he is the emperor of China. That's a grandiose delusion, and this is a negative delusion. But what happens is that a person who feels inferior or inadequate, which is a very painful feeling, may take any of many steps in order to cope with that feeling, deny it, or whatever. And one of the things that one can do is... uh, uh, I'm looking for the word, is to insult other people or depreciate other people, uh, giving oneself a feeling, I am better than they. So arrogance, which is usually tied in with vanity or narcissism, uh, arrogance is very often a defense against one's feeling of low self-esteem. And if a person would be able to feel good about oneself, one would have no need to be arrogant. Uh-huh. So you're saying is it the classic line that a superiority complex is just the manifestation of an inferiority complex? Exactly. Indeed. So if we're going to talk about self-esteem and people, does have you ever met somebody that didn't have a self-esteem problem? Truthfully, I think it's just a question of degree, but I think that in one way or another, everybody is tainted with a self-esteem problem. And one of the questions I have is why? Uh, of course, one of the reasons I uh, am so uh, interested in self-esteem problems is because I suffered from a low self-esteem until age 38. Uh, I had no justification for it. Uh, my parents were wonderful. My, I was my father's favorite. I, <laughs> okay. I excelled in everything that I did. So the kinds of things that people will say, oh, the reason this person has low self-esteem is because he was abused or neglected as a, as a child or had failure or was ill or whatever. I had none of those. And so I had to look for what is the reason why I had my uh, low self-esteem. And that's why I think it's so universal, because it can happen even in the best of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Was there some sort of epiphany at age 38 that you suddenly got? Ta-da! Oh, yes. There, there, there was an epiphany. What happened was that... Um, 
I went for vacation to Hot Springs, Arkansas, because after working three years in unbelievable stress as the director of psychiatry of a major hospital, where I had no day and no night, I needed a vacation where I was simply going to close my eyes and sit on an easy chair and breathe. No sightseeing, no nothing. And so I chose Hot Springs because there's nothing to do there. Okay, fair enough. And while I was there, I decided I'm going to take the bath, the mineral bath for my low back pain. So uh, the attendant took me into the little cubicle with the whirlpool. I got into the whirlpool, and wow, this was paradise. I couldn't be reached, not by any patient, no doctor, no family, no lawyer, no probation officer. Nobody could reach me. Finally, I'm free of all stress. And uh, the warm water circling get around me. I mean, what could be better? After about five minutes, I got up, and I, the attendant says to me, where are you going, sir? I said, well, um, I don't know. What do I do next? He says, well, before you continue with the rest of the treatment, you have to stay in the tub for 25 minutes. I said, okay. So I went back, and after five minutes, I said, look, i got to get out of here. <laughs> you were bored at that point? Right. <laughs> I can understand. Later, so I had to go back for 15 minutes, but it was 15 minutes of, of purgatory. And later on, I realized that I had had a rude awakening. I had taken three years of constant stress without a problem, but I could not take more than five minutes of paradise. Something was wrong. So when I came back home to Pittsburgh, I met with a psychologist friend of mine, and I told him about this rude awakening that I had. And he said, he says, uh, look, Abe, if you ask people what they do for relaxation, one person will say, well, I like to play golf. Another will say, I like a good book, watch the television, or do some needlework. They're all telling you what they do for relaxation. But relaxation is not doing anything. Relaxation is an absence of doing anything. What all these people are describing as relaxation is really something that diverts them. These are diversions. And so when you're diverting your attention to something, whether it's the golf ball or the needlework, you're not thinking about yourself. He says, in that little whirlpool cubicle, they took away every possible diversion. There was nothing you could talk to, nobody to talk to, nothing to look at, nothing to read. Right? You were left in immediate company with yourself. Right? And obviously, you don't like yourself and you couldn't stand yourself. Wow. That was the epiphany. I realized he was right. And from there on began the search, what am I really like? What is there about me that I despise so much that I can't stand myself? And uh, there began the search for self-awareness, which has now continued till age 82, and I'm still doing it. Okay, we're going to talk about that. I just have one question before we get into this more. It says that Moses was the humblest of all people, meaning that he understood that his position, but he, he reckoned that if God had spoken to somebody else at the bush and told him to go ask Pharaoh, that person would have done a better job. Better than he did, right. Is, is that a low self-esteem when we say humble? No, that's humble because Moses was an, Moses was aware of his great powers, right? and he used them when necessary. Right? But he did not feel that this made him superior to any other person. Ah, so there's a so you have person has to really balance themselves between self-esteem and humility. Then, right? Okay, right. let's let's say a person now hearing your story and saying that if um, Doctor Rabbi Abraham Torsky, who is the author of how many uh, books now, Doctor Torsky? 
67. 67 books. Came to some kind of realization that he had a self-esteem problem. Where does that put me? What can I do now to work on my self-esteem? And I'm going to assume that just like everything else, people have to learn how to exercise their self-esteem. The first thing that's important, you see, before I had this epiphany, right, I was totally, I was a psychiatrist already for several years, and if anybody had asked me, do you really know yourself? I would have said, of course. Right? Of course I know myself. I had a self-image which to me was very real, and I didn't realize that that self-image was erroneous. So the first thing that a person has to do is to think, maybe I am incorrect about the way I think about myself. Just maybe. Right? maybe. Once you give that opening and the person then is willing to look at oneself, I think there's a way to correct the self-esteem problem. But it has to begin with maybe I'm maybe my current impression is not right. Okay, that's a very hard thing for a person to do because after all, I think I know myself better than anybody else. Right. right. So and, how- and that's a, and that's where I was. I, I was sure I knew I myself. But the self that I knew was not the real one. Okay. So now, so let's say a person has come up with a conclusion. I really am a very good person. I, I can do and I can accomplish lots of good things, and I do accomplish lots of good things. But there are things that sometimes, you know, for a lot of, I know here from a lot of people that uh, I don't have this problem of, like, standing up in front of a group and speaking, for example, just absolutely puts people into, into shakes and convulsions. Right. Because, you know, I, I tried to, I've been trying to convince somebody for a month to come on my show. He says, no, 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 I'll freeze. And I'm sitting, I'm talking to them on the phone for 20 minutes like I'm talking to you on the phone for 20 minutes. And I said, you know, the 20 minutes I spent trying to convince you and you trying me, why not? We could have had the interview already. So... What is the person? What is where does self-esteem? What is a person supposed to do in in times such as that? For example, Dr. Tursky. Yeah, uh, you see, you, you've touched upon a specific situation, which I think is uh, triggered by self-esteem. Um, for example, the person who has to uh, speak before a group or any other performance may have this horrendous fear that he's going to say something wrong or he's going to fail or whatever, and he's going to be embarrassed. And what happens then is that physiologically. That feeling kicks off a physiological reaction, causing him almost a panic reaction with uh, tremulous and breaking out and sweat and whatever. So the self-esteem serves as a trigger. Now, uh, nobody likes failure. Uh, Nobody wants to make a mistake, and and it's very painful to make a mistake or to fail. But if a person has good self-esteem, he realizes, hey, wait a minute, a better who bats 300 makes millions of dollars, and he makes out seven out of ten times. Uh, a failure and a mistake is not good, but it's not the worst thing in the world. I'll survive it. The person with a low self-esteem is terrified of a mistake because that will confirm his worst feelings about himself. So uh, he becomes anxious, whether it's in speaking or doing anything else, and uh, may seek uh, ways in which to either avoid any kind of uh, situation where he may be embarrassed or try to be perfectionistic which is always always self-defeating. So self-esteem, I think that I, I made the statement that if we just set aside those particular psychological problems that are basically physio- physiologic, such as bipolar, and we deal with those which are really of psychological origin, low self-esteem is present in every one of them.
Okay. Now, <laughs> Rabbi Dr. Avram Torsky, can we put a Jewish slant onto this? Can we? What is the What is the Torah and Judaism say to dealing with self esteem problems? Well, first of all, I do want to point out that one of my uh, lessons of self esteem came from a verse in the Torah, which uh, I think speaks right to it. Where the Torah tells about uh, Moses sending the spies to scout uh, Canaan, and uh, they came back with this statement. We saw giants there, and we appeared to them as grasshoppers, and that's how we mm-hmm. felt about ourselves. And that statement says, the way you feel about yourself is the way you assume that other people see you. That's a perfect self-esteem statement. Now, what Judaism has to say about self-esteem is that I get up in the morning, and one of the first things that I say is, uh, God, the soul that you have put in within me is pure. And I have to realize the basis of my existence is a pure soul, a soul which is of divine nature, meaning it has almost infinite possibilities. That's, that's the reality. Now, for whatever reasons, I have not uh, uh, implemented or exercised all of those uh, feelings, all of those abilities that I have. But I have been created with great abilities. And since I don't believe in accidents, I am here on earth because I have a purpose. So this goes back to something else about Judaism and probably to other religions as well. If we assume, uh, no, there was no God. There was never a creation. Well, how did the world come about? Well, umpteen billions of years ago, there was this freak reaction where somehow energy turned into matter and formed atoms and uh, molecules. And over trillions of years, uh, evolution produced man. Well, that's a little far-fetched, but that's what some people believe. However, if that is the case, then if the universe is a result of a freak accident, it was never created with a purpose. It happened, that's all. could have not happened, but it happened. Well, if the whole universe is purposeless, it's almost meaningless for me to think that I have an ultimate purpose in my existence when the whole world doesn't have a purpose. And my example to that is the story that I like to tell of two vagrants who were picked up for loitering, and they were brought before the judge, and the judge asked the first guy, what were you doing when the officer arrested you? He said, nothing. And he turns to the second guy and says, what were you doing? He points and he says, I was helping him. You know? If you're helping someone who's doing nothing, you're doing nothing yourself. If the whole world has no existence, purpose for its existence, I'm very hard-pressed to see how I can find a real meaning that's going to give myself uh, uh, value uh, for existence. And if I don't have real value for existence, yeah, that's the worst uh, factor for low self-esteem. Okay, but being that we don't uh, adhere to such a philosophy, we believe that the world was created, we believe 5,772 and a half years ago, and was created with purpose, and each one of us has a purpose then. So that that then becomes our modus operandi for getting us up in the morning and getting us through the day, correct? Right. Okay, terrific. So the... um, The... the, uh, This then... (laughs) I was so enthralled with what you were saying. I forgot my next my next question was anyway. So the uh, so are there let's let's practice now so we can have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Someone comes to you to you or a qualified other qualified psychologist 
and says, I believe that I'm, I'm facing uh, problems with my self-esteem and it's, it's getting in, in the way and I, I really think I could be doing, but I'm having problems. What coaching lessons would you give them? In other words, what can our listeners take away today, Dr. Tursky, that maybe they might be able to practice at home? Well, there are such things that can be done. First of all, again, if he comes with that realization, he's 50% on the way to the goal because he's willing to realize that there's something the way he, he feels about himself that needs correction. And that's, you know, 50% of the cure. If he's really willing to realize, then we have to have, okay, now you're going to have to do a sincere self-assessment, uh, which isn't always easy to do by oneself because we have blind spots and we don't see many of our defects, which, which makes it so, so much easier if one can do a self-awareness or self-assessment with someone else. It doesn't necessarily have to be a uh, board-certified psychologist or psychiatrist. It could be a good friend who's interested in helping. And there are some self-help books on self-esteem. Uh, Nathaniel Brandon is the person who, uh, out in uh, California, who started this whole psychology of self-esteem. And he has a, some books and some tapes can be very helpful. There's others who have written self-esteem. I wrote a book on 10 Steps to Being Your Best. And one can do, at least begin to work on self-esteem. And if one feels that they need more progress, then I think that they ought to go to a therapy. And I think that one of the best things for self-esteem in therapy is not one-to-one -one therapy, but a, a good group therapy. Group seems to be much more effective for self-esteem problems than one-to-one. -one. However, people will insist, no, 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 I, I got to talk to, I, I can't talk in a group. And it's a serious mistake because the group has a, many advantages for self-esteem. I can, that's a lot of self-explanatory self because if you present yourself into a group, it already bolsters your self-esteem trying to present yourself to them. Understood. Okay, our guest today has been Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky. We've been talking about self-esteem. And uh, have you in any uh, new books coming out in the near future, Dr. Tversky? Um, I just published a new book about uh, a month ago entitled Forgiveness, which I think is an important book because it's a topic that is poorly understood. Okay. And people suffer from carrying grudges and uh, resentments. Okay, and that's published and, by uh, whom? Uh, published by uh, Arts Girl Masora. Okay, terrific. Okay, well, we'll look forward to, uh, to that. Maybe we'll have you back on sometime really soon. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Tursky. My pleasure. Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Stop paying more than your fair share of property tax now. I'm Stephen Poulter, attorney at law and president of Express Property Tax Appeals. Right now, your commercial property tax assessments are in the mail. Like many commercial property owners, you're probably paying unnecessary and exorbitant property taxes, potentially costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Express Property Tax Appeals can help. I recently reduced one of my clients' property tax values by $2 million, realizing a quarter million dollars in real tax dollar savings. I can do the same for you. If you're a commercial property owner, manager, or broker, and are tired of paying more than your fair share of property tax, call Express Property Tax Appeals now at 855-LOW-TAX-9 or online at lowtax9.com. That's 855-LOW-TAX-9 or online at lowtax9.com. You have nothing to lose except your looming property tax burden. I'm Stephen Poulter with Express Property Tax Appeals, and I look forward to saving you money on your property taxes. The Art Studio of Oak Park is now accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the Art Studio of Oak Park is something for you. 
All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The Art Studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The Art Studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248-542-5087. That's 248-542-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. Hey, Shulfiman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. It's time for the musical segment of the Jewish Hour. This is Mendy J, new on the music scene. And this is an a cappella version of God Elbaz's Harabi. We want Mashiach Hashem. So we want and kosher look for the michigan k on the label what's it look like the lower peninsula of michigan with a k it's the symbol of the michigan kosher supervisors go to their website mycosup.com that's mi for michigan ko for kosher and sup for supervisors mycosup.com and find this month's featured products you'll find michigan k products wherever fine food is sold especially at natural food patch on west nine mile road in ferndale 
Shulterman here. You're listening to the Jewish Shower. This is a little bit of classic acapella. This is 613 as the group. The police is called Chai Alive. Those who want us Is this what we were chosen for? Unfazed and dutifully we march and carry on. We still Someone you know have an addiction to opiates? Ready to take your life back but don't have the time for a long inpatient program? 
MDS Drug Detox is a team of physicians with extensive experience in the field of rapid drug detox under anesthesia. MDS is the nation's only rapid opiate detox under anesthesia facility with the same doctors, RNs, and certified paramedics attending the entire drug detox process. MDS Drug Detox is safe and effective. Their goal is to provide the best, the safest, and the most economical way to free you from your addiction. MDS uses the highest standards of care and the best FDA-approved medications. MDS Drug Detox understands what your concerns are. Make the call today, 888-637-6968, or go online to www.mdsdrugdetox.com. That's 888-637-6968, MDS Drug Detox. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to The Jewish Hour. we got time for one more. This is, we're right in the middle between Passover and Shavuos. So you could say we're sort of like wedged between two holidays. This group is called Pella. I suppose it's taken from acapella. So this is like Pella. And Pella in Hebrew means a wonder. So the song we're listening to now is called Holiday Party. Celebrate Rosh Hashanah is our holy new year Dipping apples in the honey and we're blowing on the chauffeur We're all gonna eat this food over here Getting full before I'm kipper I'm bad at fasting So bad Whatever Happy New Year
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week is the portion of Bihar. It is to be found in the light of Viticus 25 and following. The portion has many themes in it. It starts with the laws of the sabbatical year which this year is called a Hakel year, as last year was a sabbatical year in Israel. It's the only place where the sabbatical year is observed, where we allow the land to lie fallow. And this year is called a Hakel year, which is a year of gathering, because it's described elsewhere that in the year following the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, the king would read from the book of Deuteronomy before the entire Jewish population on the second day of Sukkot, the festival of the tabernacle, which is a week, uh, two weeks after Rosh Hashanah. One might think that the whole purpose for the sabbatical year is in order to allow the field to lie fallow and regenerate the nutrients therein, as was seen during the Middle Ages that the church instituted the rotation system, the three-field, two-field system, where you have three fields, and you only plant two fields every year. And that way, the, the field has a chance to regenerate itself. That is not the reason for the sabbatical year. Similarly, one might think that the reason for the Sabbath, the Shabbos, is simply to get a day off. That's also not true. The sabbatical year, we're not going to talk about Shabbos right now. The sabbatical year was an exercise in the faith that a person had in God. What's the deal? Here it is, we're told, a person's going to say, if I don't plant this year, we live in an agrarian society. Our economy is primarily agriculture. And if we don't plant stuff, we don't harvest stuff, we have no economy, we die. So here the Torah tells us that the sixth year is going to be the most productive year of all the years. Because you would think that if it was in order to regenerate the soil, that there would be less and less crops produced every single year after the sabbatical year, culminating in the sixth being less, the least. But the sixth year, it said, provided for the sixth year, the seventh year, 
And part of the eighth year when the crops started growing again, and during a jubilee year, which was the 50th year, which was once every 50 years, it provided for the ninth year, all in one year. So we see that the power of growth, which is instilled in the ground, is totally and completely up to the Almighty. It has very little to do with what we do. It does say, however, that if we do not observe the sabbatical year, the land will spit you out. And indeed, one of the commentaries notes, one of the very early commentaries, like 2,000 years ago or earlier, uh, not 2,000, but around 1,900 years or so. No, maybe it was 2,000. I don't know. The Jews did not keep the sabbatical year for 490 years. 490 years has 70 sabbatical years. The length of the first exile, meaning from the destruction of the first temple until the Jews were allowed to rebuild the second temple, was exactly 70 years. So it says the land is going to lie fallow regardless whether you let it or not, because it's all up to the Almighty at that point. A, the way that one says farmer in Yiddish, very interesting word. There's several words actually in Yiddish for farmer. One of the words is erdmensch, which erdmensch means, I've never met anybody named erdmensch, to tell you the truth, or erdman. Erdman? No. Feldman, yes, which means the person who's got a field. That There's plenty of feldmans. But erdman, no. Erdman literally means dirt person. What the sabbatical is supposed to do is to raise the status of the farmer out of the dirt. As good as dirt is, dirt is talked about in the Kabbalah, the mystical powers of growth which are contained in the dirt and how awesome dirt is and it's like the beneficiary of transferring God's infiniteness because you could plant one wheat berry and eventually over a period of time come up with silos and silos and silos of wheat berries. But it's still dirt. It's as low as it goes. When things decompose, what do they turn into? They turn into dirt. We don't want to put our minds in the dirt. We don't want to be air dimension. We don't want to be dirt people. So here it is. This is a challenge. Comes the sixth year, and the farmer understands, I have to get ready. I know that next year I'm not going to have this job. So therefore, I have to prepare this year. The same way a person who doesn't prepare any food on Friday is not going to eat on Shabbos. So this person has to prepare. God says, it's coming. You know, it's coming. Don't rely on total miracles that your livelihood is going to fall out of the sky. Prepare. So there's a, a sense of an act of faith there that I know that the Almighty is going to take care of me this year, next year, the year after. What were the farmers doing on their year off? Well, you should pardon the expression, they took a sabbatical, which that we associate with professors, 
I wish somebody would pay me to take a year off just so I can go sit and study, come up with new theories, write a book. Oh, would that be awesome? I would just be the expression in our house, in the Finman house, is glee glee. We would just be, I would be jumping up and down. I'd be so happy somebody paid me that I could take a year off to do research. But that's the term, the sabbatical year in this instance comes from the farmers. Because what did the farmers do? Farming is very hard. Even today, those people who work as farmers work long, hard hours every single day. There's not a whole lot of time for learning. So like this, we give the guy, this aired mesh, this farmer, a year off and tell him, hey, buddy, get your head out of the dirt. Go engage in Torah study. Connect your brain back to the brain of the Almighty. I mean, one of the things which was encouraged, of course, was all the various agricultural laws that are associated with Judaism, which we're not going to go into those right now because they are too numerous. A person could spend an entire year reviewing all the agricultural laws, which if a person didn't do it for seven years, is a good possibility that he may have forgotten a detail or so. So like this, we ensure the integrity that things are being done the way that they're supposed to be done. So now, we don't keep the sabbatical. How is it then that we're supposed to learn anything from this portion? This is not historical. This is not some quaint review. This is relevant to us today in 2016. Pretty much every single day when we wake up in the morning, we have to know that the Almighty has already provided for us for today. On Rosh Hashanah, which is coming up in just a mere four or five months, we have to know that the Almighty is prepared for us for the entire year. And indeed, our entire lifetimes are taken care of by the Almighty. This is not the power of positive thinking, as the term was quote. This is, this is what faith in God is. This is putting your trust. Because when you trust in God, that everything will go just the way it's supposed to go, guess what? Things go the way they're supposed to go. You open that pipeline for God, and it just comes pouring through. We have got to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. Don't go away. You are listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard from the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for the Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Violinist Joshua Bell joins Leonard Slotkin in the DSO this coming Thursday evening at 7.30 for Eduardo Lalo's Fiery Sinfonia Espanol, plus a performance of Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony. For tickets, go to dso.org. Would you like to get in touch with me? Well, the easiest way is go to my website, rabbifinman.com. What will you find there? Well, you'll find archive editions of the show. You'll find 
archived editions of the Eparsha, Uparsha Hasidic Youth Story. Also to let you know, while you were talking about it, Jewish Ferndale, which is part of the same organization, under the same umbrella as the Jewish Hour, is having a barbecue this Wednesday from 7 o'clock on at our new home, 1725 Pinecrest. There is a charge, and you should go to jewishferndale.com to pay the upfront and avoid the uh, the higher day of fee. And just so that way we know we know that you're coming, so go to Jewish Ferndale for the Logbimer Barbecue and Campfires Kumsens type thing. It's going to be a real happening, let me tell you, folks. Starts at 7 and goes until whenever. I guess when we run out of firewood, I guess. So do that. You'll also find on RabbiFinman.com the very important donations page. We are progressing along steadily and accumulating the required amount to pay for the show to continue airing through the month of May. And most likely at this rate, we will have accumulated the necessary funds to pay for May somewhere in June. I don't have to make this pitch. If you go to the computer and you make your donation and we pay for May before the end of May, any time that we're done with paying for that month, Guess what? I'm not going to pitch for charity. So that way, I get to tell a longer Hasidic story, or a longer Dvar Torah, or play another song, or have my guests talk for longer. But you got to pay to play is the expression, and you're listening. You enjoy it. You've enjoyed the show for 20 years. I know there are people out there who have been listening to the Jewish Hour for 20 years now on air. Go to RabbiFinman.com. Go to the donations page. It's quick. It's easy. It's all safe and secure. If you have a PayPal account, it takes 30 seconds. If you have a credit card, it takes three minutes. For, if you can type fast it like that, you can do it in such a way that you have automatic donations every month, so you don't even have to think about it. And everybody is happy then because you have the midst of giving charity without even having to think about it. And the Jewish Hour, which has been on air for 20 years, gets to continue well off and beyond infinity. The story this week involves a certain man, wealthy landholder, rich dude, who is traveling to his Rebbe, Reb Nachum of Chernobyl. Everybody knows about Chernobyl now because of the nuclear reactor that melted down over there. But Chernobyl was the home of a tremendous, a great, insightful Hasidic dynasty. So Reb Muttel of Ch- Mordechai of Chernobyl, this guy's traveling to it. He's got his nice wagon, and he sees a uh, guy walking. He's like hitchhiking, you know, a Jewish guy. So he picks the guy up, and they're sitting for a while, and he says... Uh, he asks, where are you going? He says, well, I'm going just past Chernobyl. He says, I'm, I'm going to Chernobyl, too. So the hitchhiker asks him, why are you going to Chernobyl? And he said, I'm going to see my Rebbe, Reb Muttel. Reb, uh, Reb, uh, going to see my, my Rebbe. So the hitchhiker says, oh, you're a Hasid of Reb Muttel. So he was kind of like taken aback because Hasidim were not one to refer to Matl is a diminutive of Mordechai, and even to say anything more than my Rebbe was considered insulting. So he was very insulted about this person. So this guy's saying, oh, Reb Matl, he's such a wonderful guy, he's carrying on. And then he stops and says, are you sure you're a disciple of, of the Chernobler, which is another way of doing it? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, well... If you're such a disciple, 
you should pay me the 20 gold coins that he owes me. I was taken aback. Like, he's giving him a ride. And this guy's asking, shaking him down for 20 gold coins? So the guy very calmly said, without throwing him out and say, hey, walk the rest of the way, said, have you got any proof that the Rebbe owes you 20 gold coins? So he says, yeah. He started rummaging around his bag, and he pulled out a piece of paper, which was basically an IOU signed by Mordechai of Chernobyl. This person, recognizing his rabbi's signature, looked and looked and said, looks real. So uh, he handed him the 20 bucks, the 20 gold coins. When they approached Chernobyl, the hitchhiker said, you can let me out before the city. And he went on a crossroad and traveled uh, away from the city rather than in the city. He came to Chernobyl, spent some time there, requested a private audience with Reb Mordechai, and took out this IOU that this man had given him and handed it to the rabbi. The rabbi became very pensive and thought and said, where did you get this? And so he told him where he had gotten it, with the whole business with the hitchhiker and the chutzpah that this guy had. So he's, the Reb Mordechai said, you should know that this man was one of the 36 hidden tzaddikim. Every generation has 36 righteous people who are basically making sure that godliness is flowing in the right direction, you might say. And you had the merit of supporting him. And the Chernobyl gave him a blessing that he should be able to continue supporting him for a while, for a long time. And so every year on Shavuos, when this chassid, would travel to Reb Mordechai of Chernobyl, he would make sure to bring 20 extra gold coins earmarked for that, uh, that person, that hitchhiker, always hoping that he'd be able to meet him again. But he never did. That's going to do it for us today. We are, we're glad you tuned in. We hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Don't forget about the Lag Boimer Barbecue Wednesday night, 7 o'clock at Jewish Ferndale. Go to jewishferndale.com for details. Have a great week. We'll see you again next week. Take care.
culture encourages us to create our own successes, that's not what's taught in the Bible. Author Jerry Bridges explains that we can never earn our way outside of what Christ has already done for us. Request your free audio download of the book, Who Am I? Identity in Christ 